Do you want to know the origin stories of MSG? Yeah, because I thought it was that game. Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 53. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight on our one-year anniversary by my co-host, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. This is crazy that we made it a year. And how perfect is it, by the way, that we're born on the 4th of July? That that was kind of cool. Death Right Shaman died on the 4th of July. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, brother. Well, we got Ren in six now, so it's not a big deal. It's the same thing, right? Bro, when you think back about our one year, what do you think of? Like, what's the, what's the one memory that comes to mind? Staring at an editing screen. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if I have, like, specific memories. Going to Niagara Falls and getting to meet up with a bunch of people who listened was really great. That was, that was probably the top, the top moment for me. That's absolutely mine, is that dinner that we had up in Niagara Falls. That's, like, what I remember about the first year of this podcast, for sure. That was great. We had, like... Sugi and Tom and Hackbert and all them. It was just, it was fucking special, man. It was. Although Sugi, oh. Sugi was like, you know what? Tom needs to not be on more often. I saw that. I saw that. Sugi. You saw that? I saw that. Oh man, yeah, that was a that was a spicy comment. He has a star next to his name too. I don't know what that means, but I guess he's a rising star in the old school community. <laughs> means that his comments official. Bro, that's what they say. If you give a mouse a, a cookie, he's he can feed himself for a lifetime, right? That's Sugi with old school. All right. Anyway, I just wanted to real quick just say uh, Gaming Etc. on Wednesday, which would be approximately the day this episode comes out, right? It would is uh, having a 15% off flash sale just for Wednesday. Uh, the whole power case, so that's all the dual lands, all the high-end shit. Foils are 20% off. So that's a pretty sick deal because they already have good prices. So if anybody's looking to make a big acquisition and can get there in the next few hours, to definitely do it. Yeah, they are great. So what did you do this weekend, man? I cleaned. I mowed the lawn. I brought my car in for service. I'm getting set to move. So I'm starting to pack stuff up and get pre-ready even though we haven't found a house. Yeah, I've been doing more work out of school than I have been when I was in school. It's crazy. Bro, you should just lie next time. Instead of talking about mowing the lawn, just just make up some crazy shit. No, I uh yeah, mow the lawn. I was responsible <laughs> with my car. I'm yeah, I'm recycling and bringing used toys and everything to uh to places that can use them. Oh, uh, good for you. Yeah. So that mean you're cutting off at one kid then? I, th- I you need to be able to afford two kids to have them. Yeah, dude. dude yes. I, I I yeah. Yeah. We uh Chris Dorico is actually back for the summer from uh Memphis uh, or Nashville rather, and he has an old school cube, so he brought that over on Saturday. And dude, we had a fucking blast drafting that thing. We had uh like Ryan, Jason, a bunch of people came over here and drafted it, and that's why I'm drinking right now. It's called uh you probably know this, Summer Shandy. Lefting Kugels or something? 
Yeah, Linen Lining Kugels. I've had it. I'm not yeah, super like super down with the shandy. It is like lemonade. I think I yeah. accidentally got it once and I was like, Where's where's the alcohol? But well, somebody for- left it here, but good I'm drinking you. it now. And then afterwards we went over to Mark and Tony's, met up with DFB, uh, thanked him for being on the podcast, bought him some beers, so Yeah, I uh, I definitely wanted to say thank you for taking care of last week. That was an outstanding job and I love the episode. It's nice to be able to sit down and like listen not knowing what's gonna happen <laughs> dude having to edit sucked my god i'm sorry <laughs> you have to do that every week it, you get it, it goes quicker yeah i bet so this week though we have another special guest this week so this is like the best 72 hours probably in dead format history if you're a uh if you're a listener right absolutely we i i'm super excited about this week I think this might be a world premiere, man. I think we got the scoop on leaving a legacy on this one. Uh, I don't know if he's been on any other podcasts, but this is uh, this is our friend. This is a local end boss of ours and uh, one of the most prolific grinders from our area, right? What, what are the other accolades? Do you have any other accolades for this guy? So I, I don't even think that he's a local end boss. I think that he is an online end boss, Grand Prix top eight competitor. Topher, what else have you done? Uh, well, I've won a few trophies on uh, Magic Online, but that's about it. Most of my success is online at local 1Ks, I suppose. You top eight at a Grand Prix at one point, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was a stand. That was just before um, Guilds of Ravnica launched, so it was old pre-rotation standard with uh, Hazard. And I ran hot with Flame McKeld that day, so got to play against my best matchup, Esper, like ten times that Grand Prix. So, so basically, nice. spoon fed. Sounds like fun. Yeah. So the first time <laughs> I met Topher, I was playing in a P. Uh, what's it called when it, for a Grand Prix GPT to get buys? It oh, was geez, uh, it was a one K at Etsy, and it was the finals and. Uh, I'm like, oh, Christopher Stitson, who the hell is that? And it's just dude in the Carhartt, this big, big dude in the Carhartt. And I'm like, are you Chris Stitson? He's like, my friends call me Topher. And we're, <laughs> we're playing Magic together, so you can call me Topher. <laughs> and then he kicked my fucking ass with a, with, a, with a very, very tuned Miracles deck. Some very good plays. I actually drew well that match and still lost, and that's when I realized that I really had to figure something else out because I wasn't going to... I thought I had a good Miracles matchup because I was beating sub subpar pilots, but Topher thoroughly spanked me even though I drew pretty well. I was going to say, I remember one thing I remember about that event was how... It was the first time I ever went to gaming, etc., and I was blown away by how good the field was for Miracles. Like, everywhere I looked, it was like Maverick, Death and Taxes, Stoneblade, and in the top era, that's just... Miracles bread and butter, anything that loses to Terminus. So I was I was kind of surprised at the meta there. Yeah, no doubt. I think we actually got punished a little by having some of the better pilots not playing Miracles, and we, we had like inflated sense of our Miracles matchup at that point in time because obviously you came in and just cleaned up, so Yeah, I got to play, got to Terminus a few Night of Reliquaries that day. <laughs> yeah, my my Topher story is almost identical. It was at a TJ's Legacy 1K, the one that I think Pat lost to Noah 
for a chance at a winning in and sat down across from Topher and 10 minutes later I was absolutely buried and that was my Topher story were were you on blue red delver that event no I was playing I was playing the four color stone blade deck all right yep I do remember one TJ I, I played someone on blue red delver at a TJ's event I remembered oh whatever it, it was it was not a memorable match not, <laughs> absolutely not at all <laughs> was Topher on Miracles? Yes. Yep. I think I got uh, buried buried in game one, and then Blood Moon in game two, and then that was it. So, for anybody who might not know Topher uh, by his online handle, it's uh, MZ Frost. Is that how you say it? Sure. I, always, I in my head, I, in my head, I always pronounce it MZ Frosty, and it never occurred to me that anyone else would pronounce it differently, and so I. So I started watching streams and hearing people say my name. It would always be Miss Frost or whatever. I'm like, ooh, we gotta, we gotta fix that. It could be worse, bro. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Basically, uh, a lot of people will probably know you from seeing your name associated with miracles online, right? Yeah. Prior to the top banning, that was basically what I did. Ninety-nine percent of my magic time was just play top miracles online. And wasn't exactly uh, good for my growth as a player, but got my name out there, I guess. And then after the top banning, I kind of started branching out slowly. And nowadays, I haven't played. I haven't actually played Miracles since uh, leading up to the Magic Online uh, PTQ back in March, I think. The PTQ? Oh, oh, yeah, yep. MCQ. Sorry, yep. new lingo. I just wasn't sure if you're talking about the playoff or the other. No, game. yeah, it was the one that um, Cliffy won. Yeah, yeah. After after that, I was like, uh, I had been like kind of feeling bad about miracles for a while leading up to that event, but it was still doing well enough with it win percentage wise, and but that was the nail in the coffin. There's just two. It's like it's the problem with playing control in a in a non-standard environment, I suppose. In the end, you're going to just get meta calls wrong sometimes with your answer suite. And, you know, I can only lose so many times to normal decks because I didn't play quite enough removal or whatever. So I figured I had to play something more proactive. And since then, I've basically been on Delver nonstop. And some Stoneblade, right? I did. I did play, I did play a little bit of Stoneblade in between. I, uh, leading, so... After that MCQ, the, that was a Saturday MCQ, so the very next day was a challenge. I decided to play, um, at the time, a bunch of SCG, very good SCG grinders were doing well with Blue Red Delver on the Star City circuit. And so I played a slight modification of their lists uh, with a Black Splash of Bitter Blossom, though, as I'm saying this, uh, one of them was actually running that splash. I won the challenge the next day, and so I played this at, played that same list at Niagara. I So I top-aided the MCQ, the Friday MCQ before the GP, and then did not make day two, which is the first Legacy Grand Prix I have not made day two since my very first one back in 2014. After that, I started playing Stoneblade because Gouldicott went undefeated with it, but... uh. In the end, I like Delver a bit more, so I went back to it. Okay. 
Yeah, I actually, I didn't even know that you were up in uh, up in Niagara, man. You do a good job of uh, sneaking away if you don't date them, baby. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling too good about my performance there, so I just got a guy to stick up there. I drove up with two of my friends, and one of them being Adam Wallace, and he day two, so I had to, had to stay up there. Didn't really, uh, didn't really go out looking to talk to people after. I wasn't feeling too happy with my performance. I almost, I was, I was pretty close to buying a place out of LEDs up there. I was like, all right, I'm meeting a guy now. I'm glad I did not make that uh, jump. <laughs> Dude, that would have been a trip seeing you play that deck. I've I've tried to play Ant a few times, and like it's a deck. It's got a really tough learning curve. You really gotta like sit down and play like a hundred matches with it at least to even like approach understanding the deck. And I have certainly never done that. Like maybe a league or two here and there with it. But, so would you would you say that your uh, your natural sort of line of sight would be fair control-ish decks then yeah it's basically all i've ever com- played is comp- like for serious for real in uh, legacy um it's just it's just what i prefer i, I just like the play style of the decks i like i don't i've never liked playing strategies that lose to singular cards so not only you know combo deck losing to whatever specific is good against the combo deck but like I played I played Rug Delver local one K and got hosed by Blood Moon. It was just like I can't do that again. I whether or not Rug Delver would be the best deck in the format, I just not the type not the type of magic I like to play. And you know, fair blue decks are probably the archetype that suffer from that the least. Basically just Chalice of the Void. Even then you went through it a fair number of times. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the same way. If you get down to it, that's that might not be what I'm telling myself, but that's absolutely like what's motivating my like subconscious or whatever is like you don't want to you don't want to be zero percent against anything right yeah exactly i'd much rather be i mean in ideally i'd like to tell myself that i play magic as a whole competitively and if that means i play the the moon stompy deck of the format then that's what i would play to maximize maximize my win percentage but the reality is i'd never do that i would just I, I like I like my favorite blue decks. I like casting brains from Force of Will. So recently, I played uh, Grand Prix Providence with Topher and Adam as my teammates. It was uh, War of the Spark Limited, and we had a great time. But hanging out with uh, with Topher and Adam, and like you just mentioned, you know, you play Magic competitively. Like you just said those words consecutively, and it really like I hadn't really hung out with anybody who would would admit to that. I guess. Uh, in in a while and it kind of like got me uh got me going man like fuck i want to chase this too like do you would you play any format competitively i think tom's the same way too tom you can jump in if you want yeah Yeah. i no you go tofer (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i i play any format competitively in my like when there's not a big event coming up you know there are formats i won't touch because i don't care for them but if there's a modern grand prix i'll prepare for it if there's a limited grand prix i'll ideally prepare for it though i didn't do too well at that for providence but uh but the thing is i do enjoy like it's the the play style of legacy the most so that's what i tend to do when i have an option yeah that's what i was about to ask is sort of why you have gravitated towards legacy if it was just like that you felt that that was the format where you had potentially the highest win percentage the reason i started playing legacy was because well i started I played Magic very briefly when I was like 12 years old. Basically, I should play ground stuff. I got reintroduced to it in college, which was first year of college, which was 2010. 
And I happened to meet one of the dudes on my floor who got me back into magic happened to live like 15 minutes away from me. I live in Falmouth, Maine. He lived in Yarmouth. So during whatever break, he and he showed me his uh, local game store. And this was right when Innistrad launched. So I started playing standard FNMs is like my first foray into not kitchen table magic around that time. And eventually I started playing blue, white Delver, the clear best deck of that format. And so when it rotated out, I wanted to keep playing it. This was also the time where modern was really picking up steam. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just play my deck in modern. I'll get more cards for it. They'll be cool. I look at the modern ban list, Ponderous Band, and well, that meant I had to play Legacy, so here I am. The Brutal. funny, yeah. The funny thing is, when I tried to actually, I mean, of course, I had no concept of the prices of cards, so when I first started looking at, okay, what is the Delver deck of Legacy, saw Rug Delver, it's like, alright, I'll build that, and it's like, Tarmogwave's $100, which is a little outside of my price range, but some dude I was talking to about it said, oh, I've got, I'll I got these places of Stoneforge Mystics. I'll sell these to you, five dollars each. Ooh. And then I uh, started playing Stoneblade, which eventually morphed into Miracles, and here I am. Damn, dude, that's kind of weird to think about—that you just sort of, just sort of slipped into Miracles. Like I figured that you you'd landed on that deck from somewhere else, but that was just like your first Legacy deck, really. Yeah, yeah, it was pure happenstance. I actually almost—it almost was Bug Delver. I. Uh, at the point, I had access to both decks, and I was trying to decide which one to play. And the deciding factor was, it was like just before closing at, at the store I played at, and I was talking to another dude who had goblins, and like, uh, you know, great, great guy. You know, I love him, but he wasn't the strongest player in the world. So mm-hmm. when I sat down to test, you know, I'm like super cocky. It's like, oh yeah, whatever. I'll mop the floor, just kind of figure out how the deck plays, and. I got fucking handled by goblins playing Bug Delver. It was not a contest. Like that deck lost so hard to so hard to Wasteland. I was like, all right, I I can't do this. I cannot play a deck that just loses to a single Wasteland. So it was the uh, twelve basic miracle deck or whatever. Were you playing Stifles or Hymns or both? No, this was this was the like. Um, this was like the deck Malamujo used to play. Yeah. Um, so four hymns, four death rites, four goys, like two Lilianas. The land base was like horrific. It was a four days deck with like two bayous. Yeah, yeah, it was just an absolute mess. If I if that deck did not have a turn one death rite, death rite shaman, then it would just lose to the first wasteland. And even with the turn one death rite shaman, it happened. So so yeah, just like don't like losing the blood moon. I don't like losing the wasteland either. That was always such an appealing deck, and I must have sleeved it up five different occasions, and every time I played it, I was always underwhelmed with it. Like, it, it, it looks so good on paper, or it looked, because Deathrite's banned now, and I haven't really seen anybody try and play Bug Delver since then, but it looked so good on paper, but it never actually felt that great playing. It, I mean, it plays, it's a good stuff deck. It plays a lot of good cards, and there are certain formats, certain decks it's that's good against, but, like, if you're just kind of like think about how that deck might exist in the current format, like it would just get like totally outclassed by like the Karn decks just because they're just doing bigger stuff that doesn't really care. Like there, there's just a lot of things that's that style loses to. So yeah, and I'm not surprised. Plus, people will never give up their blood moons. 
So how do you feel about legacy right now? Like you, you mentioned that you 99% uh, you said of your, of your magic playing was with miracles back in the top era. Like what percentage of your magic playing would you say is legacy now, assuming there's not some big event coming up? Uh, like right now outside. So all I play for legacy nowadays is like maybe one league a week and probably like two out of three challenges. Like I'll miss a challenge here or there. Um, other than that, it's mostly, I still do some War of the Spark draft, even though there's really not much in terms of competitive events for that, because I do like the format. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, any, any format where mono four drops is competitive, I'll play that. And, uh, uh and I trying to, um, I always try to kind of keep myself up to date on standard, because, you know, it's the most common, you're going to find the most events like that, so... Like, just before this, I was trying to work my way through Esper Hero and Arena. But uh, I'd say probably, like, 50% to 60% of my magic playing right now is Legacy. Oh, wow. That's higher than I thought you were going to say. Really, it's just because... Frankly, it's because of the challenges. Um, yeah, okay. Like I, I really am not actually playing that much magic right now on a weekly basis. I still go to the big events, but, like... During the week, in terms of like playing just Magic Online or whatever, there's not like a whole lot of. I'm not doing a whole lot of it. Like in terms yeah. of actual leagues, I'd say like one out of every four leagues I play is Legacy. So you're not just trying to grind tickets or anything like that. No, I haven't done that for a while. This this has kind of been the case for me since. Oh, I probably want to say not like immediately after Deathrite banning, but like probably like. Last this past winter was when I like I really kind of toned it down. So was that like a an overarching like sort of change in your life, or do you think that that has to do with the format itself? Well, there was like a there was a point where I real so so the real reason is so the Grand Prix I topated last summer cued me for Cleveland, which was this past February. So leading up to Cleveland, I was you know. Magic eight hours a day. I got to fucking be as good as possible for my first pro tour. You know, I, and, you know, on pure quantity of testing, I put in probably more than like the pros do, but you know, quantity is not quality. And I got, I went three and five at the PT. So did not, did not day two, one, two in my draft. Uh, I played and I played, um, the bug deck and I went two and three with that. And, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, it's like kind of reevaluating my goals with magic and I, and also why I did bad at the pro tour. And I kind of came to the conclusion that one, my testing was bad. I didn't, I'd fallen into trap like I had been doing with legacy for the past four years, which was my testing was just, pure running back leagues, not really considering why my list was what it was, not really, like, exploring the format, just, you know, deciding this was a deck I was going to play and tweaking answers based on results-based testing. So after I did poorly at the Pro Tour, I was like, what do I have to do differently to be a good Magic player and get back to this point? Because I was, frankly, well aware that my top eight was mostly blind luck. I'd 
arbitrarily decided on Flame of Kel like two days before the event, played like one league and then ran hot with it. And, uh, you know, I figured I, just, I have to branch out as a player. I have to just play different stuff, you know, be more critical in my testing and less of, you know, oh, this past league, I lost twice to Blackguard Reanimator. Got to go up to five graveyard eight spells. Oh, no, I... Or then the next league, my Singleton Blood Moon wins me, like, two matches and decide I got to play three Blood Moons now or something, like, bad stuff like that, so... Well, that's a great answer, and I hope our buddy Tom Cairns is listening right now because this is something we've talked about quite a bit, is, like, you know, getting locked in on the deck and then exactly what you're saying, like, based on results, making those sort of subtle tweaks that, you know, you, you notice you're thinking of this at the time rather than looking at it holistically and saying, oh, do I want to change this, but also being willing to go back to the drawing board and sort of scrap the, the entire thing, right? It, it's hard to know, like, what, you know, what's appropriate, and especially in Legacy, which, you know, you, you might be locked into a deck for financial reasons, and that's different, but if you're not, then... There is a lot of benefit to knowing your deck well, right? But there's also benefit to having the deck that has the potentially highest ceiling. Like, making the transition from Miracles to Grixis Delver during the Death Rite Shaman era was a huge learning point for me as a player, because I was exposing myself to different ways to play the game. And even and that's good if you want to be good at magic, but even if your only goal is to be like the best Miracles player, or the best Elves player, or whatever... For most people who have put the time in to try to like say that they are, the best thing they can then do to make themselves better and get you know win more matches with miracles or elves is to just play other decks. Just learn how those decks play. You'll you'll never know how to beat a deck better than when you actually play said deck. And like an example for me that personally is since I've been playing Delver, so since the challenge that I won uh, before Niagara. I haven't lost a match to Miracles. And the reason for that is I know exactly how Miracles wants to play its game out, exactly when to attack and when to play defensive, you know, the correct things to answer, the things I can let slide. I know how Miracles is going to try to win its game, so I know how to beat it. You know, I hear other people talking about, oh, I have a tough matchup against Miracles with Delver or Miracles players thinking they got a good matchup and that you know, might be true. Um, but I mean, if you play the deck you're having trouble against, you will learn how to beat it. So, so point is, is even if you're decided you only just want to be the master, the best elves player in the world, still branch out, play different stuff, just get better at magic. Is that for Adam specifically? Uh, Adam Adam's been branching out a bit recently. He's been like playing a lot of Cephalid Breakfast for some reason. So <laughs> That's right. Got a freaking five O with it. Thinks he's hot shit. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, like I've been playing a lot of you know I've been myself and trying to play more limited. Like it just exposes me to more aspects of the game that you don't see in Legacy. You know, more creature combat, more. More like almost tempo-based play, I guess you could say. You know, there's less card advantage, less good removal. Yeah, Yeah, just... Yeah, I guess guess this is... To sum it up, stop rambling, just expose yourself to different aspects of the game to get better at it. Yeah, Yeah, I would... Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, I would definitely recommend, if you just want to get better at magic in general, limited is the best way of doing that. Because as soon as you start to play constructed formats and you sort of pigeonhole yourselves into archetypes or decks 
there is a lot of stuff that you miss from playing the game. And just sitting down and drafting or playing sealed Grand Prix is a great way to get better overall. Yeah, it's the most fun, too, in my opinion. I mean, I love Legacy, and I, I obviously love playing old school, too. But nothing beats the fucking draft, right? It's always fun. Every every game is different. You always get to try something different. If it doesn't work well, it's just three rounds, hopefully. And I feel like it's such an equalizer, right? Which is funny to say because people who are very good at limited can have insanely high win percentages that you don't really see in a format like Standard. But it, everybody's on an equal playing field when you crack the packs, right? Yeah. I, I, something very appealing about that to me. Yeah, definitely. You, you I mean... Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to say it. It is worth saying that metagame selection is a uh, and deck selection is a is a test of your skill. If you've accurately, uh, if it was intentional, I suppose. Somebody had a great tweet that was like prof- the the number one skill of professional magic is just being able to draw accurate conclusions from ridiculously small, imperfect data sets. I'm paraphrasing. That wasn't exactly what it was, but that that really struck home with me as, as being especially true for constructed. Like I, I've been trying to figure out what deck I'll play for uh, the standard open Worcester a couple weeks, and when I'm looking at like what you know players that are known to be you know best in the world and what they've chosen to play in standard and their their card choices, sometimes it just like baffles me. Like you know, I know I wouldn't make the same choice, so it's like, all right, why? You know what? What am I missing here? What are they seeing that I'm not? How do they come to this conclusion? Who do you consider to be the best player you ever played? Ever played against? That's a good question. I've been fortunate to play against a few pros. Um, I've played against Seth Manfield, Reed Duke twice. Um, oh, what? Oh. I can't remember his name. I, I played against like four of these guys at Richmond. Um, probably, I mean, I suppose I'd say Seth Manfield because he was most recently in running for player of the year. Uh, I'm not, the thing is I'm not like totally up to date with like who the best pro is or who who's had the most recent success. Um, yeah, I wouldn't go off that at all. I would just in, go off your In terms of, like, how they, like, how my actual, like, how I was impressed with their play during the match, the thing is, is like, a lot of these matches, there wasn't really, like, there's, like, I oh, mean, I cannot remember his name, but he, he was the, <laughs> it was, he was, like, the other guy in the running with Seth Manfield for player of the year last year. Um, I played him at the same GP, and, like, we played the Miracles Mirror, and he smoked me, but it was really just... You know, he drew more pyroblasts than the cumulative knowledges. So, you know, I'm not saying he wouldn't have beaten me without them, but there wasn't really much to draw from that. My was he a U.S. guy or not? No, he was from Europe. I uh, or actually, I actually don't know if he's from Europe. I think he was like Spanish or Portuguese. Was it Marcio? I think so. I the thing is, I, I can't state this enough. I am not good with names. I okay. I can like visualize his face, and that's basically it. I'm sorry. I, to I, change, I, but... I know he was the other guy they're running for Seth Man- with Seth Manfield. So if that's who that was, then yes. But um, been, I don't know. But yeah, it's just interesting, man. Like the perception and how certain people match up with other people. Like I feel I played against some very good players, but I felt like the the best players that I played against, like the most uh, 
helpless I ever felt. And I actually won one of these matches, but I still just felt like that was just blind luck was uh, Ari Lax and Mike Sigrist. I, I feel like they were on a total another level. And the fact that I, I won against Ari was just like a, a blind squirrel finding a nut, you know? You know, he's just trash talking afterwards. Lost his freaking new block sack guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked it up. It was Luis Salvato. There, yes, that okay. That name is familiar. Nice, nice job, Tom. Thank you. I can <laughs> I can Google things. So, what are your thoughts on uh, on Legacy right now, Topher? Um, I mean, I think the format's fine. Uh, a lot of people I see a lot of uh, complaining on Facebook about Narset and Karn and whatnot, but uh, people people like to complain. I I've only been playing Delver since Narset's out. So this is probably a big reason why, but I have not had any, I have not felt like Narset has impacted the format personally. Like not, I I should say, I should rephrase that. I don't think it has affected it in a way that is exceptional compared to how other cards impact Legacy. I, Legacy, frankly, this is the format we signed up to play. It is full of cards that are, that are powerful, that demand immediate answers that sometimes the way you win with them is you just jam them, ignore your opponent's ability to potentially answer it. They don't answer it, and you win the game. That's nothing new. So I, Patrick Sullivan had this, like, uh, talked about, had a one of his uh, iconic rants on uh, coverage once, and it was in context of Deathrite Shaman. Um, he was saying, because this was before the ban, everyone was complaining about it, wanting to ban it, and he was saying essentially... Legacy players are, I, I can't do the, the rant justice, but he's basically saying is legacy players are okay with broken cards when they're used to them. Like, frankly, like Wasteland is one of the most like egregious cards in Legacy and like Magic. It's just, there are probably more non-games from Wasteland than any other card in Legacy. But we don't complain about it because we are used to it, you know. How many times has a, have we, you know, opponent goes turn one chalice to the point? It's like, oh, oh well. Or they go, you know, turn two show and tell with four soul backup or something. You know, there's none of these are exceptional. We've all dealt with them. And admittedly, Narset is a is easier to play in a otherwise good shell. But at the same time, it's easier to answer, than I think, than these are other cards. The The... People I see, I shouldn't say the people I see complain about the Narset, but the 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 decks that seem to not like Narset the most. I mean, they're kind of asking for it. If you're gonna if you're gonna play a deck that can't pressure a Planeswalker in any way, you're you know shockingly you're gonna lose to a Planeswalker more than more than a couple times. You know. So basically, they shouldn't have worn that skirt. <laughs> uh, they should. If they want to beat Narset, the tools are available to beat Narset. Yeah, I feel you. It does kind of seem like it's... Go ahead. Oh, a lot of the other cards that you mentioned, the Wasteland and Chalice, and maybe not so much the Show and Tell with Force Backup, but a lot of those cards, you if you are prepared to face them, then you can, you can hedge against them. Like playing more basics against Wasteland or playing you're higher up on the curve to try to fight against Chalice. 
So a lot of those cards, I think one of the reasons why Legacy players are more open to just getting smashed by a Blood Moon or a Chalice or Wasteland is that they felt like maybe even though they got beaten by that card, they had an option before they sat down to be better against it and chose not to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly what you said. You, we can. It's a it's just a deck building decision. Whenever you make a choice for a card, you're to play a card. You're choosing to not play another card, and you gotta you accept the fact you're going to be bad against those cards' weaknesses and good against those cards' strengths. You know, if if you choose to play Rug Delver, you've made a decision that you're going to be bad against Blood Moon, but you're going to be good against all the thousand things Stifle is good against. Uh, you know, it's, it's what you sign up for. If you're if you're playing Miracles or Grixis Control, then you know you're going to smash a lot of things, but Narset's going to be a problem. And you know, I think people just. You know, it's just another thing you have to consider in deck building. Yeah, I think that it, it's having a sort of a subtle impact where people are really getting pushed towards red right now because you have Pyroblast and Lightning Bolt to cleanly answer it in most situations. I mean, there's decks that can get on the board and answer it that way. Or, or you can sort of skirt it by playing something like Maverick where you you don't really draw cards anyway. But it's, it does seem like you're kind of... If you're going to play Delver, you kind of have to couple it with Bolt now, right? Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think there's any... Um, Bolt is probably, like, the most, like, iconic card to go... It's hard for me to consider playing a Delver deck that doesn't run Bolt, I guess is what I'm saying. But, uh, but yes. But, like, even... Delver is not the type of deck that should have problems with a three-mana Planeswalker that doesn't have a plus ability. That should just... You just kill it. Like I, if if you're so far behind, you cannot pressure or narset with Delver, then you're going to lose whether it was narset or not. Um, for decks like that have more, I guess you could say, have to struggle more in their deck building to beat it, like miracles, like I don't know, ridiculous things like High Tide or whatever. It the Options are still there. You can choose to run Spell Pierces over Flusterstorms. You can choose to run Snapcaster over that Mission Briefing card. There are more, hell, clicks and mentors. There, I mean, I'm just, re- I'm just restating what I said before. You're choosing to play a deck that struggles against this new card. Make your changes. If you lose to it, well, it's just another card you lose to. So, it's yeah. just new. That's why people don't like it. <laughs> it's really not much different than Leovold, basically, is what you're saying? Not really, no. I mean, Leovold, I'll be honest, I think Leovold was less... of a. I mean, Leovold did have more deck-building constraints, so yeah. that was less egregious. But, yes, essentially, Leovold's new card, people didn't like it, but people eventually learned to deal with it. I don't think Narset is a remotely a ban-worthy card, and I think that in another year people will have learned to deal with it. I obviously I could be wrong. I mean, it could be the same problem that Deathrite had, where it's in a vacuum power level wasn't egregious, but the opportunity cost of playing it was too light to for it 
you know, it wasn't steep enough. But honestly, I don't think that's the case. I think I think Narset's just going to be, you know, a very good card in Legacy, but there are a lot of very good cards in Legacy. So would you say that it goes along with your sort of overall worldview to uh, to not want to ban cards? I um I think that I mean banning should always be a last resort, and I do think and I think Magic players are very eager to see bannings a lot of the times. Um, it I mean it's most most of the Magic opinions any of us are exposed to are through the internet and. You know, the best and worst thing about the Internet is anyone can talk on it. So you're going to see a lot of uh, people talking that haven't really given their opinions much thought beyond their emotions. And if a lot of people agree with that, if a lot of people are angry about something, they'll find each other and make their voices heard on the Internet. So I'm not, you know, trying to say that everyone who's complaining about Narset is just angry and bad at magic. But... You do see a lot of talk about banning cards in the Magic community when that, you know, we sh- it should not be talked about. It should, you know, we're ways away from it. But, you know, sometimes sometimes cards do need to be banned. I mean, Hogak is a perfect example of that. You know, it, it, Hogak has been in the format a short enough time that if you were to just tell me that, oh, yeah, miscellaneous card, whatever, was printed, and two weeks later everyone was clamoring for a ban, I would just tell you, yeah, typical Magic players. But sometimes that's true. Sometimes a card does need a ban. Are you yes. talking about modern right now? Yes, I am talking about modern. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring such a voodoo topic on here. No, I, I didn't know because there was a <laughs> sorry, lot of... Sorry, yes, uh, I, I am talking about Hogak in the context of modern. There was a lot of Hogak in the uh, Legacy results this week, too. Yeah, I played against, uh, in one of the, in my weekly singular Legacy League, I got stomped by Orm on, uh, I think, basically the same list he played in the challenge this past weekend. It was, it's good. It, it, it's a, uh, it's taking advantage of a hole in the metagame. And everyone is starting to cycle back down to, like, two surgicals as their graveyard hate, and that is not nearly enough to beat a deck like, uh, like Hogak. Yeah, no, for sure. It was pretty cool, too. We saw, like, the combo Hogak list. We saw a list that was closer to, like, uh, I don't want to call it a fair Hogak list, but, like, you know, the Carrion Feeder, Grave Crawler kind of Hogak list. And then, yeah. like, a Manaless Hogak list, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the Carrion Feeder one is what I lost to that Warren was playing. It seemed to be almost a, almost a direct port of the modern Hogak list. That's, like, yeah. you know, the perfect example of a graveyard deck that does not lose to Surgical. So it... It's a, it's a good call. It's actually kind of surprising to do better at the challenge, but I mean, any given match of magic, anything can happen. Yeah, no doubt. He could have I, just played a lot of Chalice decks or something. I mean, yeah. Seven rounds of magic, you could just as easily go 2-5 as you go 5-2. Yeah. So you want to get into the results, Tom? Yeah, let's start to run it down. Or do you want to talk about M20 spoilers? I know you love spoilers. Well, so the... Uh... I I don't know if I want to like say this on the cast, but shifting shifting ceratops, maybe. Wait, what is that? Is that the green like? Hex- That's the <laughs> the green four drop hexproof can't be countered pro blue. You can give it reach trample or haste. A slightly better great stable sag. How big is it? Yeah, 
It's a 5-4. Five 5-4 four. Five four for 4. N- not flash, though? Not flash. Can't be countered. Okay. How much is this activated ability? 1. 1 green. To, for reach. Sorry, was it reach trample or something else? Reach trample haste. Reach trample haste. That strikes me as a card that would like a C play in the Sylvan plug deck and nothing else. Yeah, what sucks about that, like can't can't be countered clause on those green cards, is green sunk can still be countered, you know? That's sort of, Yeah, that's I, always the problem. I was thinking of this card more in a stompy show. It there are other you know, this is not the first creature to say can't be countered, and if that but it it might be I mean at four mana the only other cards that are coming to mind as I say this are is that that actually no wait a second that can be countered. Um, I I don't think that the sort the decks that would be looking to play this card are particularly struggling against counter magic, at least not targeting their creatures. Typically typically creature decks never don't actually struggle against like counterbalance is not going to be an issue for a deck that's playing this so if you're just worried about your like random four mana five four getting countered i mean that's not the worst thing that's ever happened yep i i i was looking at it more in a context of it lines up really well against true name nemesis which for a lot of the decks is kind of a kind of a roadblock when you're trying to play that type of that's fair yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like. Yeah, I could. I mean, that's the thing about green sun decks. You can kind of play whatever you want. I could. I could see it if 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 like the blue red Delver deck keep, continues in the direction it's going and starts playing more and more true names. I could. I wouldn't be like shocked. Yeah, there were there were like two cards that I saw when I read through the spoilers. One was Veil of Summer. Is that the green elemental blast? Yeah, the sort of black or blue. It's like a fixed... What was the old card that used to do it? It was called like Autumn's Veil or something like that? Something like that, yeah. That that was way back. Um, but for everybody who hasn't read the spoilers, Veil of Summer is a one green instant, and you draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or a black spell this turn. And spells you control can't be countered, and you and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and black until the end of the turn. So, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it has potential. I don't know exactly where it would want to end up. It does a lot of things that are relevant in Legacy, and it costs one mana, so it will it'll see play at some point. Yeah, it's kind of nice. It kind of has cycling, right? Because if your opponent just ponders on turn one, you can just fire it off if you don't think it's relevant. Or if uh, you know it can it can just counter a force of will and draw a card. That's that's pretty high ceiling. That is. It true. didn't register to me that the shifting ceratops had pro blue. That's much more relevant. I'm more. I'm, I'm more. I'm more on your page now. I think you actually. I think that actually uh, does have some good potential. I think shifting symmetry, is that what it's called? Scheming symmetry, the vampiric tutor that also works for your opponent. I think that that could be interesting for like a Spanish Inquisition, decks like that, you know, where you're just trying to go off on turn one, you're drawing a bunch of cards, so there's really no drawback on that card. Uh, I, so I think it, it could be relevant in like that niche kind of 
small slot, right? I got you. I was I when I saw that card, I tried to think about how it would sort of slot into Ant or Tess, and I I didn't know if there was enough room in the shell to have a card like that. I'm not sure either, but it, it wouldn't shock me, I guess, it, to see it show up because you know it's only a one off like an ad nauseum. It's it, it only costs one to cast, right? And it can find you answers in a pinch. And you know if you have a way to draw a card, you can break symmetry on it. Yep. So it wouldn't shock me if you know you you go get your uh, chain of vapor or whatever to get you out of the situation and win that turn, right? That's true. And Lotus, the Shroud or Hexproof Lotus Veil, is Wizards just going straight at the reserve list right now? Bro, yeah, what the like, fuck? Let's see, let's see how we can chip away at this. I'm kind of excited for Lotus Veil. I don't, I mean, any any card that gets printed in Standard, typically the only cards that have impact in Legacy are to, are for fringe or not yet existing archetypes. But Lotus Veil. I mean, that that holds true for Lotus Veil, but it's one of the few that have actually made me stop and really think about what is the, what is the maximum damage I can do with this card. What, yeah, just, what do you think that is? I kind of keep yo-yoing between, like, ridiculous untap effects or, like, land recursion. Um, not Not in so much the manner that lands does it, but... I mean, the the entire purpose of trying to break this card is to cheat on mana. So any anything that could somehow circumvent the sacrifice, and I guess what I'm getting at is, it would have to be a deck that was is like looking to jump from like three to five mana or something like that. Yeah. And admittedly, there isn't. I, it, it's it's the same thing of kind of like the the prior to like the slew of good win cons Moonstompy's gotten the past like two years. Prior to that, it was just like a generic sort of like ancient tomb blood moon deck, and you know whatever we'll fill in the win cons around it. That would kind of be where I'd see Lotus Fail starting. It'd be like, all right, how do we break? How do we circumvent the downside of the card? And once we do that, what what's the best win con we can find to fit? the sequencing and the mana curve. So whatever that may be, I don't know. But that's what I was trying to figure out is like that Blood Sun deck, like they already have their their way to close the game seems fast enough, like reality smashers and Eldrazi obligators and such. Like I'm not sure they'd really benefit from going up the curve. And if you don't have enough redundancy, then it, it's kind of not consistently getting you to like sixes and sevens, you know? Yeah. But maybe if you splashed white and played, like, flagstones in there. I don't know what that deck looks like exactly, but I don't know. It could be interesting. Like, any any card that cheats on mana, you know, it might not be today. It might not be next year. Eventually, there's going to be some way to abuse it. I'm still I'm still sitting on my thousand copies of Heartless Summoning just waiting for the day. <laughs> I have a few of those myself. All right, you want to get into the the results for this week? Get get into the challenge. Topher, you played in it, right? I did. What was your impression <laughs> of this challenge? Well, my seven round sample size. Let's see, round one, I uh, lost the force of will check to Belcher, uh, which is like the second time I've played it in like two years. 
Um, I misplayed very, very badly game two. It was just like... <laughs> so game one, whatever, I'm on the play. I have like Delver, some lands, a daze, waste, whatever. He, I go Delver pass. He kills me with enough mana to do it three days. All right, go to game two. I mold to five looking for a four solo. Actually, any piece of counter magic. I'm not seeing anything, not even my five. But the five I kept was uh, like land, Delver, cantrips. I don't quite remember. Um, there's a brainstorm though. He, I so I go Delver. He, or did I go Delver and I hold a brainstorm? Anyway, so there was a point where he's comboing, and I brainstorm to hit Force of Will, and I do hit the Force of Will, but I also hit Is it Static Caster? And it was very clear he was going like he was going for empty. Um, but I didn't have the third land. Uh, to play the static caster. So I'm tanking, and I'm like, the issue was if he had two other cards, he had like a thousand mana, or like seven, and two other cards in hand and burning wishes on the stack. So this is a trap I've fallen into many times where I, it was much more common when I played Miracles, but basically I'm like, all right, I could foresaw this Burning Wish, but what if he has another empty in hand? And typically you don't want to play on the what ifs, you just want to beat what they have. Um, but because I had the Static Caster, I talked myself into uh, not Force of Willing, letting him get the thousand Goblin tokens, and then, like, the math, I would have been able to live through the first attack. Um and then, you know, trying to hit my third lane for Static Caster. And I had the preordained to dig for the third lane. But I ended up forgetting to crack my fetch on the upkeep. So I drew a dead card, preordained. And, of course, after he Burning Wish for the empty, he threw away his two cards in hand, which are just two dead land grants. So if I force that one time. Uh, and as you can tell, if I'm telling the story, I did not find that third land off the preordained and lost. So that was pretty bad. Uh, then I got the actual buy round two. Nice. <laughs> then I beat, oh, you know, I don't, okay, my, we have to work backwards. My final round, I beat Blue Red Delver. The round before that, I beat Stoneblade. The round before that, I lost to Eldrazi Post. So I had two other wins. What were they? I beat Stoneblade. Storm. Oh, that's what, round three. I beat the Aeon Storm deck, and there isn't much to say about that. Another four soul check deck, but I passed that one. And was that the the mentor? Yeah, version? yeah. He um, yeah, he had mentors. He had uh, thought seizes. He had LEDs and Aeons. And I uh, the problem with the Aeon Storm deck is if you don't like. You really need a lot of mana when you go off. Because if you don't, then you're like kind of not really doing anything. And maybe if you're on the play turn one, you screw your opponent's keep and they get mulled to an unplayable seven. But you know, half the time when it, like more than half the time when it goes against me, I like am hitting force a little. So I am not a big fan of the Aeon Storm deck. Um, and I don't know. I beat something else that I don't remember. I'm sure it was a very exciting match, but uh, my, the really, I mean, my own actually for me, it was six rounds. Uh, I don't think I got any repeat archetypes. The format seemed fine. It was a fun challenge. Uh, there wasn't really much else to say about it. Disappointed that I didn't top eight, but 
can't have that every week. Yeah, I mean, you're... Well, you can almost you can almost have I, it every week. Every every week we read through the standings, we're like, there's Topher, there's Topher. The, the playoff challenge that I got the, the previous week that I got 10th because... Um, oh, jeez. Because uh, Tom Hep top-aided again, the invites went down to 9th. Yeah. I lost out on 9th place by point zero zero one one on tiebreakers. So that was that was pretty heartbreaking, especially since my second loss was to Moonstompy. I do not like losing to Moonstompy. I feel you, bro. Yeah, so you're not qualified for that. Uh, no, not yet. Invitational or whatever not the yet. fuck it it's is. Like format championships. It's like 16 players, right? 32. 32. It's the top eight from each of the quarterly playoffs. Oh right, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, well, whatever. It's gonna be sick. Got another two chances. Yeah. Yeah. So we had actually the winner, Brian Cook, on Tess. I guess uh, persistence pays off, and uh, he got there uh, over Ant. Right. So that settles that once and for all. We know what the better storm deck is. And uh, oh, I guess Julian too showed up with elves, right? And another elves deck was in the top eight. So. That's like that's four. I don't exactly want to call them critical mass combo decks because neither one exactly is that, but they, they both sort of follow that pattern, right? I think you can definitely call elves a critical yeah, mass that's combo fair, deck. That's fair. But yeah, ant isn't exactly, but it kind of is. You know, you need the spells to go off. You you can't really go down on cards the way that you can with something like black red, right? And. uh Combined with depths, which is kind of straddles the line, it's a lot heavier combo than what we saw last week when combo was kind of non-existent. Or I guess it was two weeks ago now. And then we also saw a resurgence of Chalice decks with uh, there was a Postwalkers deck in eighth, and then Bara in fourth with like this deck that I called Ren and Plug because I didn't have like a better name for it. I don't know if you guys have something. I think that probably fits fits pretty well. Man, I had to read Obelisk Spider. This card's really in the stack, isn't it? I don't even know what it is. What is it? It's a it's a one four reach creature for one a black and a green, and whenever it deals combat damage to a creature, that creature gets a minus one minus one counter. And whenever you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. So I was looking for the, uh, what's his name? Yogmoth or whatever? There's no Yogmoth. in the Damn. List. So what's going on here? Yep. Uh, I, the only thing that I can think is that they wanted a creature to be able to hold back a Delver and something that you can green oh, sun yeah, for. Yeah. And that's that's the only the only thing that I came up with. It's actually not bad. Yeah, it doesn't get you know you can't really kill it with just a single bolt, and it holds back a delver and gains you a little life too. It's pretty nice. Not a bad find, man. I'm kind of impressed with this card. But this deck overall, man, this is wild, isn't it? Like, uh, first of all, four Ren and six, right? But then second of all, this is like like a nick fit deck without the uh veteran explorer right this is just like the the next uh the next evolution of plug maybe this is i don't even know 
kind of seems just like a like a three color plug deck. Yeah. Like a mashup of plug and Nick Fit with the creature selection that you sort of yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. It's wild. And I don't know, man. It, I kind of like it. Like, I kind of dig this deck. Well, we have Mana Trader, so you can put it together. Yeah, I, I think I might run it, run it through. Yeah. I just, I I get excited by decks that have Mox Diamond. And this deck also has four Trinisphere, so you can have some pretty explosive Yeah, starts. for sure. So the other, the only other deck we haven't mentioned yet is a uh, Grixis Delver deck with four Arcanists, pretty similar to what we've been seeing for a while now. Uh, no crazy Ren and Six shit going on here. This is this is just like uh, four Arcanist, three Young Pyromancer, two Gurmag, and two True Name. So pretty similar to what what you think, I guess, of Grixis Delver at this point in time with Arcanist. So basically, you look at this this uh, challenge top eight, and you see one Force of Will deck. This this Grixis Delver deck in fifth place has four Force of Wills, twelve Green Sun Zeniths pretty wild yeah and we we hadn't really seen a ton of eldrazi post recently kind of kind of thought that that deck was being held down and we see the planeswalker version just pop right back up yeah that's pretty sweet also i i think uh this is like a narsa and karn format right (laughs) well it was no narsa everybody were the cards that everybody was sort of playing with to to try to figure them out were Karn and Narset, and we were just seeing them everywhere. And now they're absolutely gone, except that post deck that we mentioned. And also a card that I thought was, like, pretty unplayable, or pretty close to unplayable. There's a four Hex Drinker Rug Delver oh, deck bro. that ended up finishing ninth place. Did you see yeah, that? I, I do not. I'm still not, I'm so far from sold on that card. I, I know I, I said that about Arcanist for a while, but I guess I, I I like this Rug Delver list. When I was really? the so it is kind of weird because Rug Delver relies on its threats protecting themselves more so than Blue Red or Grixis. Yeah. But on the flip side, Rug Delver struggles more with just plain having creatures that hit hard. Like we all. You know, think when we think of Nibble Mongoose, we think of that time, you know, goddamn 3 3 killing us, so I've got 12 bolts in hand or whatever. But you know, it takes it a lot of times, Rug Delver is stuck with a very slow clock waiting to turn, waiting for the Goyf to get, you know, bigger than a 2 3 or the Mongoose to grow up. Hex Drinker, you know, kills faster. It's it's another competitive one drop. It might die to removal, but it also might kill your opponent. There's one thing that I really kind of as as just like a, at a deck building level don't like about it, and that's the two mongoose four hex drinker distribution. Where I guess if you think that hex drinker is really good and you're just playing mongoose to have your ninth and tenth one drop threats, fine. But I feel like there's diminishing returns with hex drinkers, right? Because you could never be pumping mana into two of them at once. It's already questionable because it sinks so much mana. So I'd rather see like two hex drinkers. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. Um... 
I think I think the two the two mongoose is probably a nod to not having stifle and also playing three Ren and six to recur your lands. So having threshold in this deck is probably quite a bit more difficult to get than regular like traditional stifle rug delver. That's true. I didn't. I hadn't actually noticed the stifle thing. That's a good point. And it's pretty cool that it does level up off Wasteland, too. I always, for whatever reason, think that it needs green. In so, the end, I, I think that when in doubt, play the cards that kill faster in a vacuum. That's kind of how I look at deck building. So Hooting Mandrills. <laughs> yes, Hooting <laughs> Mandrills. Yeah, I don't know, man. This card is... Uh... It's certainly fun to look at. When I is it? Do you, do you like do you like this artwork? I don't know the level up card. Like I don't know. I, there's just some novelty to it for me. I wasn't playing during whatever set that, that was like uh, in vogue, but this is like the first level up card I've actually held in my hand. Some cool about it. All right. So if you want to talk about killing in a vacuum. <laughs> 10th place. Just game ends on turn one all the time. It's a good strategy. It is. We, I, I don't know, with Graveyard Hate sort of diminishing, and obviously it's never going to be completely gone, but we've, we've seen Graveyard decks sort of not get a ton of respect. I, I would expect to see more Grizzlebrand than we have been seeing. Sorry, let me say that again. I, I never I never see as much Grizzlebrand as I, I expect there to be given the sort of um, amount of graveyard hate that people are playing. Yeah, it's always I mean it's it's tough to guess to to take this challenge take any challenge really and project it across the entire metagame. Well, the- hold on, hold on. We should just say this is Ice Station Zebra, so that everybody knows what we're talking about right now. All right. The, um, I mean, yes, I've, I've definitely noticed, uh, black red taking a major downtick recently, not seeing any results. I don't think that's because people aren't playing it. I, I actually do believe that's because black red, like it's never going to be bad. It is probably the best, um, turn one, two combo deck in the format. But once again, it is a deck that has a huge target on its head. People, when people think, I need graveyard hate. The graveyard deck they're thinking of is Black Red Reanimator. They're not thinking of they're not thinking of Dredge as much, even though they probably should. They're not thinking of the new Hogak Zombardment deck. You know that's why people show up with you know three Surgicals and a Tormod script or whatever, or two Surgicals and a Tormod script, and they're not showing up with Rest in Peace or even Graft Digger's Cage really. So like I'm not surprised Black Red has fallen to I mean it's it's a combo deck that has a target on its head. People people want to beat it. So even though they might be only be running, you know, two to three pieces of graveyard hate, they it's probably by design. It's probably yeah, you know, I'm gonna say, I would guess that the people that are making that choice still intend to beat black red. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like I'll tell you right now, um, you know, I've been 
there have been a couple of cars I've been wanting to get into the Delver sideboard, and I'm like, you know, what do I cut to make room for them? I keep coming back to the graveyard hate. I was running four, two surgical, two graph diggers cage. For this challenge, I cut one graph diggers cage to make room for the hydroblast, I think. But um, kind of the reason I was able to justify this to myself was, yes, I am going to lose to, you know, these two surgicals will probably not be enough to beat Dredge or Hogak. But between two surgicals, six forceable effects, four dazes, blah, 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 whatever, and a clock, I will beat Black Red Reanimator. And that's really what I care about. I think when someone has made the decision to play a graveyard deck at a legacy event, Black Red is the deck they've decided to play 90% of the time. Yeah. You were saying, like, this is just one challenge. You can't read into it too much, which always we have to keep in mind, but... I do think that it's interesting because you're saying people are still playing red black and that this deck would do the best, right? This is the deck that put up the five, two, that this is like a reanimator deck that also has this alternate Avenue of merit lage, right? This is ice station zebra. So for those who aren't familiar, it's kind of like tin fins with the dark depths package stuffed in. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of elegant because it has living wish that can get different pieces of the two combos. But it, uh, it kind of seems to me like uh, like maybe the black-red deck that has the built-in ley line plan. What do you mean? The- yeah, and I mean, it's better against Surgical as well, Yeah, right? exactly. So maybe, so maybe there is still Graveyard Hate, and this just does the best in that format? Like, if people are, are packing specifically Graveyard Hate for black-red? Ye- I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah this... If... If I made the decision to play a graveyard deck knowing there was going to be graveyard hate, but I intended to beat said graveyard hate, I would probably look to play um, Dredge personally. But, okay. but I get what I, I get what this guy's trying to, what he's trying to do with this list with the alternate win con. I'm always very skeptical of alternate win cons because. Yes, they will beat the hate when your opponent... Well, hopefully they beat the hate when your opponent shows up with it, but it weakens your game A game plan, and combo decks always expect to win when their opponent don't have disruption. But if you go too deep trying to beat the hate, then that's no longer true. And I mean, this is still Tin Fins. It still threatens the turn one kills, so this guy hasn't exactly gone too deep into... uh, you know, giving up his game A game plan, but it is a trap people fall into when they start trying to beat Tate a little bit too much. Um, that's that's kind of why I like Dredge so much, because it doesn't have to actually give up anything to beat Surgical. It just beats Surgical. It's, you know, the ley lines and the graph diggers gauges that it struggles against, but not seeing as much of those. Yeah, I could buy that. So you want to move on to Dredge then, the 18th place list? <laughs> sure. No, we can't. We can't skip. We can't skip this next. What's one. next? I don't even. I don't even see anything. The top placing blue red Delver list must be pretty good, or maybe he just got a buy. Who knows? We should get him on the podcast. <laughs> so, so, is there anything different about this build, Topher? Uh, so. For me personally, the difference was making room for the hydroblast. Um, so the main the main board's pretty stock. They're the only thing worth 
noting is the one-one split on spell pierce and force negation when most will run uh, two spell pierces. You also yeah. see some variety in the creature bases. I, once again, as I've said several times, I don't like giving up my in a vacuum game plan, so I do not like going too low on creatures. Um, Jerry Thompson almost top-aided a uh, legacy MCQ at Seattle, uh, a couple, whatever Seattle was, with a list that ran 11 creatures, four Delver, four Arcanist, three True Name, and uh, Rich Callie ran that back in last week's challenge and top eight. I think he got the top four or something. Um, And I mean, great players, you know, they did well with it. It's not like they lose lose that many percentage points, but still, I would rather just have more creatures, 13 creatures, instead of what they were running was a third chain lightning and a vapor snag. Um, But the sideboard is where you start to see uh, differences in lists. Uh, Typically, so what I've been noticing a lot is people have been going, the lists that people have been playing seem to be going pretty deep on beating blue matchups. Um, I'm seeing like three Pyroblasts when I run two. I'm seeing Narsets, um, which kind of take the place of Winter Orb. But I guess if you had, I really like Winter Orb. I think Winter Orb is the best hate card you can play against um, the slow blue decks for Delver. Stoneblade especially, yep. Yeah, Stoneblade, Miracles, even Grixis Control, you know. Um, I'm going to bring Winter Orb against all of them. So you can kind of say those two cards hold the same slot, though they kind of show a different sort of mindset when it comes to playing against the slow blue decks. Um, I suppose my issue with Narset is that it could, it has a fail rate. It, yes, most of the time it's just going to stop their cantrips and you'll win the game off that, if presuming they don't answer it. But I think you can already beat their just like mono cantrip game plan. The weakness Slow Blue has against US Delver is they have, they lack enough win cons to brew force. The way I tend to play against Miracles, this, this strategy is kind of like the best against Miracles. You don't really protect your threats. You do if you like smell blood in the water, but really you just need to stop them from winning the game. And it sounds stupid to say that, but because Miracles players love to not play win cons, that is a legit way to win the game. I, you know, just don't get, don't let them get too much value off Terminus. You know, keep just enough pressure on board so that they can't play. You want to put them in a position to have to answer your board before they can play their Jace or whatever. Um, you know, you want to put them in a position where they have to play their mentor without protection um, to try to, you know, put some blockers in the path. But beyond that, you don't want to actually be trying to, like, race them down. You need to basically always have something sandbagged so that they do answer your board before they untap and deploy a threat. You get to redeploy your own threat. Take advantage of the fact you're a tempo deck. So the point is, is if you just play patient, answer their win cons, they, you know, they can try to answer your threats as long as they can. You're probably going to have more threats than they have answers. Um, so the point is, I don't think you need our set. Winter Orb as a better tempo card. It stops their win cons better, in my opinion. So play that. Uh, the other, the only two other differences I play in my sideboard is I. I'm a big fan of Blood Moon. Um, I notice most lists aren't playing that, which I actually find kind of surprising because I know like you know every sideboard has the pilot's own personal flavor in it. But I mean, Blood Moon's like never bad. Like I don't 
like I can't think of any like large scale event I've played where Blood Moon would have just like never come in, you know. Whereas, you know, that happened that happens with your graveyard hate, you know, sometimes. That happens with your artifact hate sometimes. Um and I run it as a static caster. And I kinda get the mindset that Blue Red Delver has enough mainboard removal that it doesn't need a static caster to beat decks like Death and Taxes. But it's, you know, if Death and Taxes just manages to go turn one mom and you don't have a bolt in hand for it, you know, if you got like a Delver cantrip hand, like you, you're going to be struggling. Um, it's just, there are enough game states. Like, I like playing powerful permanents that really hate on someone's strategy. Like, you can't always do that against every deck, but since you can't cover all your bases, you can't like have like 10 cards to bring against every matchup. I would prefer to be in the seat of having one or two cards that come in, but they are real haymakers. Um, so Static Caster is a real haymaker. Null Rod is a real haymaker. Blood Moon is a real haymaker. Um, I I beat Barra on Death and Taxes like two challenges ago, and it was singularly the result of Null Rod. Like, smokes me game one, game two I multi five, and then he simultaneously gets land screwed and gets his Aether Vials shut off by Null Rod. And then game three, I don't mull to five and shut off two vials with a null rod. Um, I just, instead I see people playing like Blazing Volley or like more Pyroblasts or whatever. And it's like the return you get on a third Pyroblast is just like so much less than like that first Blood Moon is the way I look at it. So like I get it, people want to beat miracles. People want to beat the mirror. I've been there before. I've I've run five pyroblast effects and miracles before because beating the mirror was the only thing that mattered. But you know, that's I would not say that's where we are in the meta right now of just being mono blue red delver versus other blue decks. Yeah, yeah, I really like how the sideboard's constructed. I, I'm a bigger fan of electricery than Staticaster, but I totally understand why you have it there. And all the other cards are exactly like you said, just haymakers, which is exactly what I'm looking for. When, when I'm building, I played a lot of Rug Delver online in the past six months or whatever, and these are all cards that, that I love. So I, I'm totally on board with uh, those 14. The other thing I'll say is Force Negation, like anyone who doesn't believe it, believe me, Force Negation is the real deal. If you are playing a Delver deck, you want Force Negation. It like I, I, it's weird having like being having to explain this, but like Force Will is your best card. Well, not like the number one best card, but it is like the top three best cards in your deck. You want more of them. There are just so so many game states where you don't need you know the card disadvantage doesn't matter. Just you just need the counter spell. Well, it's not just that, but it, I mean just being able to cast it for three, right? That when is true. That, when that the- is that is a very real deal. That being a more castable Force Will does come up. Like even in the very first league I played with with uh, two force negations, I was like, man, am I gonna cut all my force wills but leave in a negation? You know, like there there were a lot of different matchups I was finding where I was really considering it. So it, it's it's very valid because it, you can cast it for just three. Yeah, I also hate losing the force will check matchups, so getting more force wills is nice. Cool, man. So anything else on this? In this, no. Have you thought about Fiery Islet at all? Um, I have, but in the end, 
a fiery islet is just another land that can be wastelanded. And a the biggest strength blue red Dilver has over Rug or Grixis is its mana base. So I don't want to jeopardize that. Yeah, for sure. I, for some reason, like I was just looking real quick and thought you had four volcanic islands, but you're on three. So yeah, I'm I'm running three islands. Most people run two and an extra fetch land that has. There might have been like one instance in the challenge where that was might have been relevant, um, where I had like Mullahan because it didn't had like two islands but no red source. So man, it was like it was like I don't know two islands wasteland, two Arcanist, two chain lightning, something like that. And yeah. you know there is a whatever 33% chance or something that. Um, extra island that island could have been a fetch land but um more islands means easier to beat i mean i mean admittedly most people probably are not keeping in blood wounds against against blue red delver but if you know if you go on that mindset then you could go down to one island and they do start keeping in blood moon so i i just i like my mana base i like i don't like losing to wasteland i don't like losing the blood moon i want my third island cool all right, on to number 18, then. We got Hogak, our boy. Yeah, but is this... I mean, obviously, there's three Hogak in it. Is this really a Hogak deck, though? This is just straight, old-school, manaless dredge with three Hogak. Yeah. No, it's not It's not like the Hogak deck or anything. I just wanted to give a shout-out to the Nair for... <laughs> like... I... I just think it's so cool that it's showing up with uh, Icarid because I didn't do like the legwork on this at all. Like I didn't brew this out in my head, but it's just it just seems to fit so well with it. I mean, a, a way that Malice Dredge can lose to fair blue decks. The, when I played Miracles, the my primary game plan against uh, Manalus was to surgical its uh, recursive creatures. I didn't, you know, I never targeted the dredgers, never targeted the bridge. It was just the creatures. So another recursive threat can only help it. Yeah. And it does, I mean, if you manage to get that turn, I'm trying to think, if you're playing Mandalus, it means it probably isn't happening turn two. But if you get out the turn three Hogak, I mean, if they then proceed to find their rest in peace or something, you've got an 8-8 Trampler. That's going to be, that might, that's probably going to be good enough to win the game. Well, the other thing is uh, four Force of Vigor in the sideboard. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean the the deck loses to Leyline, Rest in Peace, and Cage. Yep. So having, I guess Hogak being a green card more easily turns exactly. that card on, so you can play yep. it. That's yeah, that's something that's pretty. I was big. just yeah. thinking if he has the green count to play it, like I mean, even if he didn't have the green count to play it, he probably should still play it. But right, just because it's something that you could potentially cast. It is, it is better than the next best alternative. The Hogaks are green cards number eight, nine, and ten. So it's pretty relevant, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty sweet. And I think there was one other deck in the challenge. Uh, oh, yeah, well, Orem in 22nd, I guess, which is, uh, I think we started the four threes now. So not the not the greatest finish, but uh, he did 5-0 a league, I believe, with the same list. And this is like the modern port, right? So, Topher, yeah. you're a modern expert. You want to take this? <laughs> I mean, it is very, I mean, just looking at the only, oh, okay, they're in tombs, so let's say he, four therapies plus three in tombs, I don't actually know the land count of the modern list, but what did he cut for it? He has the, he cut the um, blood ghasts, oh, no, no, he didn't, he didn't, I, what did he cut? 
should be obvious. I'm not like I've only played the Hogak deck once in Modern, but I mean it. It show it tells it shows you why um, Thoughtseize probably. Uh, no, it doesn't run Thoughtseize. It runs like a flex spot removal spell, so that's one. Oh, Insolent Neo Knight. That's that's one. That's another. They play that spot. card really? Yeah, they. Oh, Avenge Vines. There you go. All right. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It plays Insolent Neo Knight. Uh, I mean, I was signing it out almost every matchup I played. It just struck me as being like the worst card in the deck, but I could, you know, like I said, I only played five match five matches with it. I'm by far knowledgeable. Not, I'm sorry, I am not knowledgeable on the deck, but I mean, it. It's a good deck. It, I mean, when I first played against it uh, against Orm, I thought it was a Zombardment deck with just a Hogax. I never actually saw the altar or the non-existent Golem of Bombardment. But it, yeah, I mean, I, there's two that are in the sideboard. But when I saw this creature suite, I think I just automatically assumed that it was playing Bombardment over Altar because you you sort of see this exact shell in the bombardment yeah. decks but the sort of modern take on it has the altars to turbo out the, the, the weakness that like dread i mean you can kind of look at this as a dredge deck and is, and is in a uh, kind of resilient graveyard deck um the weakness is actually like their speed like not to say like led dredge is a slow deck but if you if you like if you if you want to beat led dredge you play another combo deck so in that sense, speed is its is like its weakness that it's uh, targeted for. So alter does allow it to threaten the turn three kill, um, whereas goblin bombardment does not. I don't think at least right there might there might be some like theoretically nut draw that seems to twenty turn three here or something. But like I <clears throat> I definitely see why you would choose to play alter an alter list over bombardment plus. But Barbarin said it's best against other fair decks. This deck is yeah. already really good against fair decks without Bombardment. That makes sense. The thing is, once you have like a Hogak and an Altar and a Bridge, like I think you are based almost you are almost like guaranteed to kill them. Like you do the the choke point is having enough creatures to convoke to bring back the Hogak, but if you can like go turn one Stitcher Supply or just any like one drop then go turn two altar, then turn three like. Well, I guess you would mill your, you would sacrifice your fire. Anyways, the point is that, uh, you. This, this deck threatens a turn three kill. That's what it. That's what it comes down to. So we also had a, uh, what is this called? Uh, SCG challenge is that what it's called? Classic. There we go. We had a classic. I don't know where the SCG was this weekend or what format it might have been. It was, in, it was in Pittsburgh and it was Team. Team? But I think it was Team Modern. Team Modern sounds fucking awesome. So Pittsburgh, there was a Legacy Classic. I guess that's what happens when you have Team Modern events. And the the top eight, I don't, I don't feel like it's worth going into the decks really in this. I What I thought that this really highlighted... The top eight really quick. It was won by Mono Red Prison. Then we had Miracles, Stoneblade, two Blue-Red Delvers, a Black-Red Reanimator, an Ant deck, and Bomberman. And what I think that this really highlights over like the online results that we're used to seeing is the tendency of paper events to favor decks that 
that players like playing that they're used to playing. Basically, we see more tundras in this than any of the the uh, online challenges have had probably in the past six weeks or however long it's been. And th- this is really just like a very paper top eight, right? Yeah, paper will always be less have less variety than. Uh, it's weird. People al- people have always said that like the online meta game is heavily blue favored. I've always felt. Not to say that it doesn't like favor blue its legacy, but I've always felt like there's more diversity online. People are more able to try different decks. Um, you know, it doesn't matter for most. You know, that is that is the unfortunate part of legacy is whether or not blue white stone blade miracles black red reanimator are good decks in the format. That's most likely your only only deck, and that's what you're going to play anyways. Right. So you're going to see a uh, less responsive meta game, which might force diversity in the sense that people will never switch off their deck no matter what the meta is, but it also means you are... I mean, Miracles has probably been the most popular paper deck over the last five years, so you're always going to see a Miracles presence, whether it's any good or not. Yeah. So, yeah, then in the... uh, We've been kind of slacking on the league lists, honestly. We've been, like, either skipping it or only getting to, like, one or two. And we don't have to go through, like, you know, all these. I pulled out, like, five or six different lists from the League Challenge, but there are some really cool ones that I did want to highlight pretty quickly. Uh, the first one is uh, Twiddler with uh, – this is pretty wild build, man. This is, like, a Ice Fang Coatl, like the four Ice Fang Coatl decks with uh, – Renin six. It's sort of like four color Grixis control, but leading into green instead of black to play Ice Fang Coatl instead of Strix, and then have that full Ren game plan, but also have Green Sun Zenith. And what I thought was so cool about this is like when you're trying to beat Narset from one of the decks that's kind of punished by Narset, which is Grixis control. Green Sun Zenith is a really cool card to have access to, right? It's, it's one of those ways to sort of get card advantage or get card quality without actually drawing a card that I was kind of talking about a couple weeks ago. So I thought that this was a really cool innovation. Yeah, this deck is wild. And like Coatl kind of beats Narset too because it flashes in so you can draw your card on your opponent's turn. Yeah, I didn't think of that. So I really like where this person's head might have been at, where, where like I imagine their head was at when they did this. I could be totally wrong, but I respected this a lot. I keep noticing a bunch of these decks in the uh, deck dumps. Maybe it's just because they're out there, so they're always got the 10-card requirement variety to get posted, but I don't know. It tells you the power level of Planeswalkers that, you know, slot in <laughs> two Jays, two Darset, two Ren, and then, you know, those will win you games. And a natural order into Progenitus sideboard play. Oh shit, I didn't see that. <laughs> nice. And this deck has Plague Engineer too, which the next deck I picked to highlight was Stefano GS. This deck I, I picked basically because of just Plague Engineer. I just wanted to discuss this card specifically because this is like a miracles list. This is like a blue white control, three terminus, one counterbalance, one back to basics. <laughs> But there's a Black Splash in this list, and it's not for main deck Thoughtseize like we've seen like a Black Splash traditionally for Miracles. There's one Nile Spellbomb in the main, 
so not technically even a black card. Like you could you could just play it as a Tormod script, right? But there in the in the uh, sideboard, there's two Plague Engineer. Uh, Topher, what do you think? Do you think that Plague Engineer is the real deal? Yeah. At first, I didn't think so because I thought the effect was too weak to be worth playing a three mana two two. But uh, I'm apparently wrong because everyone is playing it. Um, and I mean, the effect. I mean, I was just talking about haymakers. It is a. It is probably one of the most powerful effects you can have against the decks you want it. So if you can justify mainboarding or or sideboarding it, I mean it. It actually kind of strikes me that he is running play because he's running the sideboard. So it's. I feel like if you are only playing on the sideboard, you would still want engineered plague just by virtue of being less more resistant to removal against decks you bring in against. I mean, it is going to kind of suck to get your plague engineer sores versus death and taxes. Though then again, I guess it might be harder to resolve a play engineered plague against death and taxes with Thalia. But but yes, I I am willing to say I was wrong, and it, plague engineer is the real deal. Um, it's it's really weird that you're bringing in Plague Engineer against decks that you want to keep your yes, terminus in yes, for. Yes, dude. Like the the anti the a little bit of anti synergy there seems really strange. I mean, normally I would just say that this is just some random random scrub that got a lucky five zero, but uh, Stefanagos is an amazing player, so I'll assume he made this made a conscious decision here. Yeah, I was going to lean heavily on Topher here because what this seemed to me like exactly what you don't need help with when you're playing Miracles is it, what Plague Engineer would come in for. So, Miracles <laughs> Miracles needs help with everything, I swear to God. It, <laughs> you always have, like, you're a control deck. You never have the right answers, and it's legacy, so you never have, you don't really have that much time to find the right answers. So I actually do kind of get... Here's the thing. There are some matchups you want for plus Wrath effects against. Those matchups typically are matchups that, like, Plague Engineer is good against. Like, there was a time where I was, like... I had blue-red-white lists that would always I'd sometimes run the Static Caster as the pseudo-fourth Wrath, because typically the decks I wanted the fourth Wrath against flooded the board, and, though, and like, a really flood the board. So basically Death and Taxes are Elves. So so Statcaster is almost better than a Wrath there. In that sense, Engineer is better than the Supreme Verdict of those matchups. So like like, you know, I doubt he's bringing in Plague Engineer versus um I don't think he'd bring it in versus Delver though, for all I know. I mean, it, it does have it does have some application, but I think you might, just because it can it, uh, it it's can... weird it's like a three mana kill target true name that needs to be bolted to play more true names. And it can also stop an Arcanist for a while. That's true. That's something I didn't really consider. But at the same time, Delver shouldn't be setting out that many bulls against you. But here's the thing. It's okay. When people are judging how good a card is against Delver, they always fall into the trap of thinking that they get to resolve the card. <laughs> like the biggest thing about Delver is it attacks everything equally. It's going to daze your three minute answer, whether it's no matter what it is. Like it doesn't, right. That's the issue. When I'm looking at answers for Delver, my first, the very first thing I think about is how cheap is it? 
And know, this can't be pierced for what it's worth. Yes, that is true. Um, I like I remember there's times where I like stopped bringing in Blood Moon against Grixis Delver because it was three mana and I didn't want to spend my third turn playing playing a Blood Moon, playing a card that didn't kill the existing creatures. Yeah. Um, from Miracle's perspective, the most important thing is to kill the threats. Um, Plague Engineer does that, I suppose. I would like to think there's a better option than Plague Engineer, but I mean, if, if he was sideboarding specifically for Delver, then I don't sell his persecution, I guess. But, you know, that's you know not the case. Um, I suppose I wouldn't be surprised if he bought a Plague Engineer, but it's probably like one of the last cards he brings in. We did see a lot of elves in the challenge, but then on the other side of the equation, we've got your lifetime record against Adam, which is 73-0, and 0, right? Something like that. So. I freaking, dude, I freaking, oh man, I was over at my friend's house without Adam. We put together the four-color, like, Savakas, whatever, challenge list. Yep. Play a league, get freaking matched up against Adam, who's at home playing Miracles <laughs> of all things. He's playing Miracles. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to freaking demolish Adam. Freaking, I lost. This is the first time <laughs> I've lost to Miracles in months. Did you tell I, him, or is he finding out now? I, uh, oh, no, no, we were on my account. We knew who each other were. Oh, okay. Um, he, uh, man, that was tough. Worst day of my life. <laughs> so, I can't find this list now. Where did this go, this third this third list that I highlighted? I think I spelled the, the player's name wrong. Uh, what, what was the Here idea? Here we go. Lo- logarithm with like a crazy spelling. This is uh so the, the only league that I played this week was with a, a list very similar to this. This is a uh, this is shardless bug, right? With a uh, crashing footfalls, four crashing footfalls and only two ancestral visions. But other than that, it's pretty close to what you'd expect shardless bug to look like now. You know, you've got like a couple assassins trophies over decays and you've incorporated now one narset. But otherwise, it's pretty close to a Deathrite list, Shardless list. What I did in my list was, especially the I splash Red and Six, but I didn't do very well in 2 and 3 in that league. But obviously, this was a 5-0, and it's just pretty cool to see Shardless again. It's, it's really strange that you see a 2 Ancestral Vision, 4 Crashing Footfalls split. Is the footfalls just that well, much so better? I did a three-three split, and I kept siding out one or two ancestral visions, and like foot, like footfalls was so fucking good. I, I get it. Like, I mean, this sort of list already has tons of value. It's hard to like imagine getting a matchup where, oh man, those two ancestrals were the difference makers uh, compared to how many matchups you get where hitting the crashing footfalls actually wins you the game. Especially, I mean, if you're playing as a reactive deck with this deck, then the the concept that they would have to keep in, like, bad removal because, oh man, he might hit crashing footfalls is, I mean, that's, that's going to get you wins. And what's kind of cool, what I did in my sideboard was I had uh, two actual counterspells and two fluster storms. 
And then I was boarding out the shardless agents and boarding in those things. But you could still, against like some like ant, you could just suspend a footfalls on turn one. And that's your clock. And then you just sort of play an entirely reactive game other than that one spell that you have to do nothing for and you can't be thought-seized. I played against a... Ver- I mean, obviously not the same list, but I played against this thing, you know, the same concept in a league with Blue Red Delver, and I... Um, I resolved a Blood Moon without any clock, but he didn't have it either. The next turn, he suspends a Crashing Footfalls, and I that killed me. I couldn't find anything. It came out. I managed like double double bolt one of the four fours, and the other one killed me. Damn. So yeah, I don't know. It is a lot better than you think it is. And like when you think about draw three cards, obviously that sounds so good, right? And I would definitely fall into that trap, too. And I did when we did the set review, thinking that it just wasn't as good as Ancestral Vision. But in reality, man, two four fours are two four fours, and it's just, like, pretty beastly. And one thing that's interesting, though, is this deck's on three four so well in the main deck with the fourth in the sideboard, which I think is, is like, a really interesting read on this meta, because what I actually did was play four four so well and two force negation, because you can't play any other counter magic, right, when you're playing, when you're playing Shardless Bug. So that that's another way that my the deck that I played differed from this deck, but I, I do think that this is really cool and something that I think warrants more looking into. Yeah, I think that if you if you're thinking that the meta that you're gonna be playing in is gonna need five force of wills, then maybe this isn't the right deck choice. And I think the the whole idea behind three force of will is that you you only need your opponent to respect it where you're expecting to play against a bunch of other blue value decks that you can just That makes a lot of sense. And you're not really as vulnerable even to Chalice as you were when you had Deathrite, right? Like, this isn't a Thoughtseize deck. So that's interesting. And you have a lot less less ones. Yeah, for sure. So the next deck I wanted to highlight, I've been saying that I'm going to play Nick Fit for a while now. I I told uh, that dude... uh, Joe Dyer on Twitter that I would play it after talking shit about it like one too many times. But I've never actually been close to playing it until I saw this list, man. This is Mental Missteps 5-up with Neoform, four Neoform, four Veteran Explorer, and one of everything else. This fucking list, man. I like this list a lot. I'm not going to read it because it would take at least 10 (laughs) minutes, but... Get a Neoform Veteran Explorer into a Belfast Tricks. I can't imagine more value. Or an Ice Fang Coatl. But yeah. Uh, also of note, Spellseeker for Green Sun Zenith is pretty pretty cute. Uh, there's a whole package of, of little things you can get, but I guess the only two drop you can get is Scavenging Ooze, right? It's got a Snapcaster Mage. <laughs> it it does, a, but I, that's I don't interesting. think it's... <laughs> Just uses a chain, have like a thousand mana. Turn your uh, turn your Birds of Paradise into a Snapcaster. Wait, does Neoform exile itself? I know some of these cards tend to. It nope. Does so not. you can. I don't know. Get some sort Whoa. of a make your own Eldritch Evolution. Jump from one to three. What are the three drops in here? Plague Engineer. Ooh, we can get a three three Plague Engineer. A or- four. A four four Leopold. Four four yeah. Leopold. Can't bolt yeah. that Leopold. Oh man. Or you get Eternal Witness and get the bird back. Turn one, just get the Neoform back. <laughs> but Leovald, I mean... Oh, no, no, I just flashed it back. Never mind. That's another bomb on three. 
I don't know, man. This deck, this deck looked pretty sweet. Maybe just because it's blue, like heavier into blue than than the re- usual bug Nick fit decks we see. But this really made me want to play it. So respect to that. I get excited every time I see Glenelendra Archmage. You fucking love that card, bro. It's a good card. Yeah, it is a good card for sure. I have three other decks on this uh, on this league, but we're kind of long. Is there anything you guys want to highlight of these? Not really. <laughs> I I don't know. I I get at you because I think we go too deep into these every week. But I'm glad I'm glad we talked about those. This All right. Week. Uh, is there anything else that that we want to want to hit before we do the uh, outro? Yep. Yeah. No, I'm good. I I just wanted to thank Topher for coming on. I know we had been talking about it for a while, and I bailed out on Thursday, and it was awesome to have you on. Oh, no problem. I enjoyed being on and talking about Magic. Tried to cut my ramble a little bit, but I know I failed several times. Hopefully, people can follow my train of thought at least a little bit. No, that's the good stuff. Like, yeah, that's why you are here. We got to uh, we got to get working on our Flat Earth podcast, Topher. Man, I I was like fully committed to like if 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 Thursday hadn't been canceled, I was fully prepared to come on and tell Tom about how I I, I was gonna do actually I was gonna do like fake moon landing was what I think I settled on. I thought, that, <laughs> I thought there was like more material to work with with fake moon landing. Flat flat Earth is a little bit too easy to debunk. You, you guys can't prove to me the moon is real. All right, you've never can't go up there. I honestly, I didn't know what to expect with Topher coming on. Like, I, I wasn't sure if he was just going to come on, like, guns blazing, like, <laughs> calling us globetards and shit. But <laughs> we we got the uh, we got the refrained, uh, restrained and refrained and refined uh, version of Topher today. So I appreciate that, bro. Yeah. Uh, Tom, if people want to find out what sort of orange Julius shit you're drinking this weekend, how should they do that? Uh, you can check out my personal Twitter, where every time I go to Treehouse, I post on it. And this week, it was King Triple J Julius. You should look it up on Untapped. It's a very good beer. But you can find me at TSmileyMTG, and you can find the cast at DeadFormatCast on Twitter. When I saw that post, I thought that that was like some, some old-school basketball player you might have elbowed, but I guess it's a beer. It is. It definitely is. A so you can find me on Twitter at Ian18125. You can find the cast at deadformatcast at gmail.com if you're trying to hit us up with any inquiries. Uh, somebody hit me up for advice on starting a podcast today, which I guess is like our one year anniversary. So it's, it's pretty cool to be recognized as like someone who has any fucking idea what they're doing when I really don't. But that, that was uh, that was pretty, pretty sweet. Topher, if people are looking for you. How should they do that? Well, I do have a Twitter at mzfrosty, spelled with an E, not a Y. You should probably just spell that out for people. All right. M-Z, the letters, F-R-O-S-T-E. And did you ever play that game with, like, Bad Mr. Frosty, that fighting game, when you were a kid, Primal no. Rage? No? Do you, do you want to know the origin stories of MZ? Yeah, because I thought it was that game. No. So... I, I fulfill a lot of stereotypes. Um, one of those stereotypes being I, my brother. So uh, I was born in 92. So I was 12 years old in 2004, which if any, if, if any of you pay attention, know 
your video game history was uh, the year World of Warcraft came out. And my older brother got it for me, and that basically destroyed the next seven years of my life. But in the process, I made a mage character that I named Frosty. And then I had to one day do a server transfer because the server was on sucked, and I couldn't use the same name because some asshole was named Frosty on the new server. So I paid homage to this dude on the previous server whose name was MZ Slippy Fist and made my name MZ Frosty. And I have stuck with it since. So World of Warcraft affecting my life in more than one way. Yeah. I feel that. What server I you started on? on Mugfall and I transferred to Deathwing because the physical server location was on the East Coast, whereas Mugfall's was like in Texas or something. I was like... That was okay at WoW. I basically only did PvP because I was a high school kid who couldn't raid to midnight. Not not that any of the grown-ups would let the children raid with them. And then I, I, I peaked at like a 2400 arena rating, which doesn't mean anything to someone who hasn't played WoW, which was good. Uh, not like really good but that's basically my history with video games i get good at them but not really good so were you like a glass cannon dps mage or what uh no i i was i named my character frosty as a frost mage i don't know anything about wow frost mages were the cc's no i exhausted that one (laughs) statement exhausted my entire knowledge of the fucking game i I thought i was sounding like somewhat competent but well obviously you, you you can build your mage as a glass cannon or at least you could when i played no i i um I I'll, I'll just assume anyone listening to knows enough about WoW that it not not speaking gibberish. I would play two v twos and three v threes, rogue mage, which was a very competitive two v two composition that was basically all about crowd control and burst damage. You'd you would crowd control turn turn them into chiefs or stun them. One of the players while killing the other, and I played rogue mage priest in three v threes, which was also a very good three v three comp that was the exact same strategy. So. Basically, my job was just turn people into sheep and then freeze them in place. Tom, Tom and I, uh, similar to how we both played Bent Stoneblade, we both played two of the most hated uh, specs. We were both Retribution Pallies, right? <laughs> I I was not. I actually, I, I played, my playtime in WoW was about a year and a half actually played. Whoa. I started playing on Proud Proudmore in vanilla and I rated... I read, I read, I led, blah, I led three raid guilds to oh, different geez. expansions and was, <laughs> was like 30, 35, 40 hours oh a week. Oh my God. Uh, I, yeah, I stopped, I stopped after Sunwell, but it was, it was everything from Vanilla to Sunwell. What were you then? I was a tank. I was a protection oh, warrior. God. Oh man, that's like, that's like the most burden. Yeah. That's like the most burdenous job you could have possibly. That's an actual job. If you are, if you are leading I, a I raid as a main I tank, you are. You're no longer playing a video game. Yep. Uh, it was. I felt like I was running like a human resources <laughs> department of a business, at, as well as playing and farming and doing all of that. But, I mean, I I wasted a shit ton of my life playing that game. But I met some awesome people. So. I played for about two months. I was bartending at night, and I would just play during the day. And I lived with my cousin and my stepdad, and they would play it at night like normal people. 
And when I got up to 60, they're like, oh, transfer to our server. Now we can all raid together or whatever. So I transferred to their server. And then I realized we're on completely different schedules because I'm working every night. So all my friends were on the server I left. (laughs) So I was like 61, Burning Crusade had just come out or whatever. And I didn't know anybody. And my stepdad and my cousin were never home during the day. So I was just like, oh, fuck this game. And I stopped playing. And thank God for that, man. I probably only burned like eighty hours yeah. of my life in that game. I used to I used to stagger sick days and oh. personal days when new expansions came out to basically just sit at my computer for twenty hours so I could I could be at the top of the leveling curve for recruitment for the new expansion. I uh, I played nonstop. Okay, so excluding a six month break at the very beginning because in like very classic vanilla WoW fashion. Okay. Another stereotype I fulfilled. My first character as a 12-year-old was a night elf rogue that I named Chaos Wielder, except I misspelled Wielder, so it was Chaos Welder, which is a much, which is a much, a much cooler name. Uh, the the vanilla WoW had some fucked up leveling, so I went from the starting zone to, well, I guess this. The starting zone to like the spoon-fed second zone, and then they like let you loose and like, all right, figure out what you're gonna do. I went to Theramore, and there was zero quest there, so I spent, I want to say like three months just killing raptors outside of the town in Theramore <laughs> until I hit a high enough level that I could get through Theramore to like, I don't know, some other. Sorry, not Theramore, Wetlands. Though Theramore is in Wetlands. No, I'm getting mixed up. Theramore was in Wetlands. Anyways. So excluding that six-month break where I quit because I got tired of killing raptors, I played clear until the end of Wrath of the Lich King. Because that's when all my friends quit. But I can't stop myself. And basically every expansion that comes out, I join back up and play for like two or three months until I get bored again because I still don't have any friends who play the game. And it's a very remarkably boring game to play without anyone to to play with. So... Yeah, I think earlier I said that I stopped raiding in Sunwell, and then I forgot that I didn't, and I just took a little bit of a break, because I also raided all the way through Lich King. Like, we did Heroic Arthas, and uh, I know that I leveled through Mists and did a little bit of raiding, it, also in Cataclysm. Shit, I've played way more of this game than I thought I did. Dude, I, yeah. I, I, like, yeah. I remember <laughs> when I first quit, like... Uh, actually, no, Dalaran. Actually, it might have been Wrath of Lich King, because Dalaran was in that. I uh, My played time on my main character was, like, almost a full year. Like, 330 days or something. Yeah. Was, oh, my God. Mine, mine, was, mine was a year and a half on my main, and I had, like, I had at least six max level units, <sighs> uh, some, some of which had, yeah, I had, I had a Shadow Priest, I had a Warlock, I had a Hunter... Um, I had a death knight. So yeah, I had six level 80. Yeah, it was gross. I, yeah, I don't, I had a problem. It, that game, I like really I've like did. watched like real, like science, like scientific reports using world of Warcraft as a case study for like this, for a Skinner box or something. And just how it like consumes people. It, they do everything right. They give you just enough reward, just enough, like, you know, keep keep killing fucking raptors until you hit level sixty, and it fucking consumes you. So. What can I say besides Keck? 